Well, um, good morning. It's uh, it's really, um, yeah, really uh, exciting to be able to worship together. I always um, consider this to be uh, one of the great uh, moments of my week. Uh, hopefully, uh, you do as well for us to, to get together and to be the people of God and to be the church and to bring it into this room together um, in a way that we don't get to do throughout the week. Um, Again, if you're new here, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and being part of our, our church and being part of what God is doing in our midst. Um, I, I know for me, um, as we as a congregation walk through um, this certain stretch of our lives together, um, it was about three and a half weeks ago that um, one, of our, one of our guys, one of our brothers who used to stand up here and play, uh, lead us in praise, um, went home to be with the Lord while he's on the, the mission field in, in Ecuador. I know most of us, probably, I, I know definitely for me, um, not a day has gone by since that time that um, I have not thought about uh, Tico and not thought about his life. And, and I know that for, for many of us, many of you, you feel the same way about that. And as uh, we reflect on that, I know we, we need time and we need space to, uh, to uh, process through these things, to, to, to mourn and to grieve and to understand or seek to uh, understand the nearness of God in, in, in this time. While all that is, is going on, uh, the reality is that we uh, need to continue to live life. And, and as we do, uh, it is wise of us to think, what is, um, what is God trying to do in us as individuals and as a congregation in this time? Uh, part of the reason why we feel the things that we feel so deeply like certain convictions and certain lessons and certain messages that we feel that God was speaking to us in the past uh, four weeks, there's a reason why we, we feel them with the weight that we do and certain reason why the emotions are so raw and they're so real. And I wonder if what C.S. Lewis said um, in, in a great line is, is not being played out here and it's something that the Lord would want us to hear, that he whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. That there is something that God wants us to see. It's not just like life is a series of events that take place and then uh, we just kind of try and, and figure out and, and, and take them as they come and then move along. But, but there are certain things that God is trying to teach us as a congregation that, that we probably weren't ready to hear before, that we weren't listening to before. What is it that God has been shouting to us in these times? I want to help us to try and process through this. And again, I don't want to, I, I don't want to move to the lesson and, and forget the part of, of, of mourning because I'm in this with you guys also. Like, I, I know we have to do that. But at the same time, there is something that the Lord wants to say to us. And there are things that he wants us to embrace in a way that uh, we are softened to hear and embrace the message now in a way that we weren't four weeks ago, five weeks ago. And so last week we talked about um, eternity and for us to think about heaven and to think about our home and to think about where we're going to spend our eternity if our eternal address is going to be in heaven. If it's not, then we need to make changes. We need to do something in our lives so that we can understand our need for grace because we can only get there by the grace of God. And for those who know in your heart of hearts that that's where you're going, how does that reflect in the way that we live life? And do we long for that? Do we long for our home in that way? Uh, today, I want to uh, turn our attention to a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. A parable that he tells Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And as we read this parable, I think that this tragic life, um, and, and I say tragic, and I really mean this is tragic. The life of this man in this parable um, is tragic. 
It is an utter tragedy. And thankfully, it's a parable, but I think it is highly instructive for us. And so as we look into this passage, I'd invite us to open our hearts to hear what the Lord God through his spirit would say to us as church. It's Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. This is God's word. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Jesus gets a little bit gangster here. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch your back. Just kidding. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, hey, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This is God's word. Now, if you think about this man, you think about all of our lives for that matter. The end of this life, if he was living today, and it's not, it's not a stretch to imagine this kind of a person living today, someone who's just so caught up in, in, in having a little bit more, and they've hit the mother load and just looking for just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, finally they've got it made, and then cardiac arrest, heart attack. I had a stray bullet, whatever it is, and his life is taken from him. It's not hard to imagine, but look at his tombstone, right? Tombstone, on every tombstone, you've got a couple things. You've got the person's name, right? John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, okay? This is his name. And then you've got, you've got, you've got dates, 1980 through 2011, or whatever it is, 1975 to 2011, 1950 to two, whatever it is. That first date, you've, you, you may have heard someone say this before. I've heard, uh, I've heard uh, an author say this. That first date on your tombstone, you had nothing to do with. You had no control over that first date when you were born. You didn't say one day, hey, you know what? Um, I'm this little uh, thought in somebody's mind, not even a fetus yet, but I'd like to enter life in 1976. That's a great year, 200 years after the after the, uh, you know, independence. It'd be great, 1976. Or, you know what, 2011. That sounds like a really good year to be born. I'll, I'll come, maybe a little bit after Hurricane Irene, but that's a cool time to come. And so it doesn't happen that way. We have no control over that first date in our lives, and we have no control over the second year on our tombstone either. Some of us think we do. That's why we do things like Botox or we do liposuction or we, we, we take these anti-aging pills, oil of Olay or whatever it is. We, we work out all hard and stuff like that, thinking that we have some control over that second year, but we don't. We have no control over the year that we enter into life and we have no control over the year that we e- exit this life. That's just the reality. As much as we plan, as much as we prepare, as much as we do all of these things, we have no control over these two things. The only thing that we have control over on our tombstone is that little dash in between. And every single one of us has that. And every single one of us determines what we do with that little dash of our lives. Before we know it, that dash is going to hit that second year on our tombstone. The question I want to ask is, what are you doing with that dash of your life? That one thing that you can control, so in a sense, that one thing that you have control over, 
that you have choices that make a difference, what are you doing with that little dash in your life? Well, as we look into this parable that Jesus tells, I think there are three things that I want to point out to you. There's, there's a lot of lessons that we can see, but three things that I want to highlight. And the first thing is that there are no do-overs in life. You got to think that this guy, as he's hearing the story being told, wishes that he could do it over. When I was, uh, when I was younger, I used to live in a little town called Herndon, Virginia. Lived in this little cul-de-sac, which meant we could play lots of kickball in that cul-de-sac. And so a bunch of us kids would get together and we would play this, this amazing game. You could play for hours. And the way that it typically happened, there are rules to kickball, right? There's a certain lexicon that you use when you play this game. When we would play, the way we would play is we stand at the plate. If I was kicking the ball and the pitcher would roll the ball. But before the pitcher rolled the ball, they would always ask, how do you want it? This is how you guys play down in Florida. How do you want it? And then we would say, I want a little bit of salt and no pepper. Do you guys say this? Okay, salt, uh, uh, salt, let me... Okay, so when you guys play in like your Winter Garden Kickball League, this is how you, what you're supposed to do. Uh, salt means how uh, the speed of the ball. Okay? So you say a little bit of salt, you want it slow. A lot of salt means you want it fast. I'm surprised you guys don't know this. Maybe this is just my neighborhood rules. Pepper is how bouncy you want the ball. Right? So if you want it bouncy, you say, give me a lot of pepper. You don't want any bounce on it, then you say no pepper. Right? So I would always like it. Uh, give me a little bit of salt, no pepper. And they would roll the ball, and then I would kick it, and usually it would be a home run because I'm really good at kickball. That's the way it would work. Now, if they rolled a ball that you didn't want to kick, you didn't like the ball, then you would, two things would happen. One, your teammates would all start jeering them and say, we want a pitcher, not a belly itcher, right? You guys do this. We'd say that. But the second thing that would happen is that you would say DC doesn't count. Do you guys do this? Come on. What kind of kickball rules are you guys playing with? We'd say DC, and then we would kick it back to the pitcher because to catch it and then to throw it back would take too long, apparently. So we'd say DC, and we'd kick it back. That's how it would always work. Now, there was this one kid who moved into our Hunter's Creek neighborhood, didn't understand the rules. We told them, you have to say uh, how much salt, how much pepper do you want on it. But this cat was completely different. They cheated. I think they cheated. So here's what they would do. The ball would be rolled to them, and they would kick it, and then they would say DC. And after a while, I kind of started to catch on to what they were doing. I said, I, I understand. If they kick the ball and they don't like the way the ball goes, like someone catches it, then they'll say, oh, DC, can't you pitch it better? And if they kick it and it goes to a good place, then they start running the first base. I caught on to that after about you know, a few days of playing. I was like, you know what? That's what they're doing. And everyone else in our neighborhood... Everyone else in the game realized that that's what they were doing. And so we said, Somebody's got to, someone's got to put their foot down. But we were all scared. I was really scared. But this went on time and time again, and this, this kid was never on my team, so we were always losing. And, and so I finally I said, okay, you know what? I called timeout. I marched up to the play. I was shaking. And I said to this kid, I said, listen, Karen, we've had enough of your... <laughs> we've had enough of your antics. You can't do this. You can't kick the ball and then say DC. If you don't like the pitch, then you've got to say DC, and then you kick it back to the person. You can't look and see how it goes and then call doesn't count. It doesn't work that way. You need to make sure that every time you kick, every time you kick, you make it count. I didn't say that. I didn't say it like that. It was like all shivering and, and stuff. But you have to make every kick count because you can't call DC after the game is after the kick is done. The same thing is true with life. You can't call DC after we've lived all of our lives. 
There are no do-overs in life, people of God. We can't go through life and live however we want to live and then say, oh, none of that counted. I want to start back over and, and let's erase all of that stuff. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, imagine this guy and, and how he lived his life. He, he wishes that that night when God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded. And he stands and he says, DC, it didn't count, it didn't count, do over. God says, you fool, did you not know that you only get one chance at this thing called life? We think about the way that we live. What regrets would we have if God were to say, tonight your life is going to be demanded from you? What regrets would you have? What regrets would I have? What do you wish you could have done over? Or what do you wish I hadn't done? I wish I hadn't gotten out on that one. I wish I'd kicked a little bit better. I wish I'd tried a little bit harder. What are those things in your life that you wish I could have back? You know, for this guy, you can imagine he's neglecting his kids, doing all of his stuff and saying, you know, kids, don't worry. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll spend next vacation with you. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff so that you can have your toys. I'm doing all this stuff so that you can have your, your Wii. I'm doing all this stuff so that you could have a good life. But in reality, he knows in his heart of hearts that he's not doing it for them at all. He's doing it so that he could have just a little bit more. Wife every night going to sleep by herself. And at the end of the days, at the end of it all, she realizes that she's just, a poor, lonely soul. And he wishes that he could have these moments back. I think most of us, the regrets that we'll have are not going to be that, oh, I wish I would have made $10,000 more by doing a little bit more of this or doing a little. I don't think that's what's going to be our regret at the end of it all. I think whenever we have regrets, isn't it about the fact that we didn't love more deeply, love more boldly, love more courageously, love more sacrificially? I, I, I think about this the other day. I was on my computer doing some, some work and, and then my little Manny came running up to me and she, she comes running up and she starts uh, t- uh, pulling my leg and she says, up, up. I mean, she wants to come and, and sit on daddy's lap. And for a moment, for a moment, I was thinking, uh, you know, daddy's sending out some emails. Why don't you go to mommy? But I realized that a time is going to come and very quickly that she's not going to want to sit on my lap anymore. Time is coming when, when these children grow fast. They grow fast, don't they? Those of you who have kids who are in, in high school or college. Time flies, doesn't it? On the other side, it flies the other way. Our parents are getting older, guys. Last time my old man came down, he, we, we all went to SeaWorld. And I asked him, I, I said, are you going to ride Kraken? And he's like, what's that? And I pointed at this, this roller coaster. I said, are you going to ride that? He's like, no, no way. I stopped riding that years ago. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I had forgotten how, how, how much time had passed. Because up until that point in time, he was the epitome of roller coaster courage to me. He was the one when we would go to Bush Gardens when we were little. He would ride Loch Ness Monster without holding on to the thing. He would lift his hands in the air, and I was holding on so tightly, wouldn't even open my eyes. And I looked at him, and I was like, man, he is, that's everything I want to be. The symbol of, of courage and bravery and roller coaster madness, that's, that's him. That's my dad. And yet last time down, he's like, no way, I stopped riding that years ago. Life comes at us fast. And a time is coming when all of our parents and all of our children and all of our friends are going to go the way of the ancestors. And at that point in time, we're not going to be able to have any do-overs. There's going to be no chance for us to say, that didn't count. Roll it back to me so I can try it again. We don't come this way again, people of God. We don't come this way again. We ought to live without any regrets in our lives. I'm amazed at how little regret there was in the last, in the last journal entries of, of Tico's life. And granted, he was on the mission field, 
But still, it was just filled with, I gave my all. I gave my best. I did it all. There was such joy in doing it. If we were to take, I know most of us don't take journals, write journals. But if you were to write a journal, or if someone were to to take a journal of your life, your thoughts, your motivations, your actions, the past three weeks of life, what regrets would we see in our own journal? What do we wish we had done less of? What do we wish we had done more of? What do we wish we had understood in that moment? Because there are no do-overs in life. That's the first thing we see from this dude's life. The second thing that we see, second thing that he teaches us is we have to know what stays and know what goes. Know what stays and know what goes. He thought, I, may, I don't know what he thought. I don't know if he thought he could take this stuff with him. But he says, you fool, God says, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And who's going to take all that stuff? Who's going to get all this stuff? Not you. You can't take that with you. You can't take this stuff with you to the other side, wherever his eternal destiny is going to be. It doesn't, doesn't say because it doesn't really matter. But he can't take any of that stuff either way. Past week, I was in, in Minnesota with our senior pastor, Inky. Uh, he roomed with one of his uh, pastor friends from New Jersey. I roomed with my brother-in-law, pastor from Seattle, Justin. And the first day that we were there, uh, we went to a local Walmart because we wanted to get some drinks because they had this Fiji water. You drink it, charge you $5. We're like, we're not going to drink that. We went to Walmart, and for $4 and like 36 cents, they had a 24-pack of, of, of water. I forget what brand it was, Aquafine or something like that. And so we said, okay, this is great. We're going to get this 24-pack, and it, it, it comes out to like, what, 20 cents, 15 cents each one. And we bought a 24-pack of, of water and a six-pack of Coke Zero. We're like, surely three days we're here, we can finish all this stuff. And so we were, you know, went through this conference. By the, end of the, by the end of the conference, as we were checking out of the hotel, we had three things of Coke Zero left and 18 bottles of water. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do all, the, all this water? And, and we were so concerned. So we just took it to the hotel, ended up giving away 18 bottles of water at the hotel. Still had this thing of three things of, of Coke Zero. We got to, we got to our, our airport. We're in Minneapolis uh, St. Paul Airport, Twin Cities Airport. We're about to leave, heading back here to Orlando. And um, we, we have to take out all of our liquids and stuff like that. And Pastor Inky still has this unopened thing of Coke Zero. You're like, oh, my gosh. Such a waste. So, in Korean, he's a so akoa, right? Ah, oh, what am I going to do with this? And he's thinking, should, should I down it right now? And it's too, too big for him to do that. He wouldn't enjoy it because so much of soda is enjoying it and not just trying to to, to chug it. And so he's like, I want to give it to the, to the lady who checks our ID, the, this security lady. Um, and I went through the thing first and I, I ended up getting this body spray taken away from me because it was too big. I said, I don't need it anyways. I smell fine. So he took that and I'm watching him and he's like, he's, he's, he's like perplexed because I'm on the other side of this, this thing and I've got my bags and he's on the other side. He's just like looking at this thing and looking around like, what am I going to do with this? Apparently he'd forgotten to give it to the, to the lady and he's just like holding on to it. He's like, ah, oh, and he's like talking to himself like such a, a waste. He's trying to figure out what to do with it. Huge trash can right here. He's like, he, he's like looking back at the lady, looking at the, at the thing. And, and so he decides he's just going to put it down on the counter and let someone else get it and drink it. And so uh, he, he's about to walk through and the TSA, the big security officer, the guy who looks like a cop, looks at it. He's like, no, you got to throw that away. He's like, this fool, never open. I never opened before. And he's saying, this is like, this is good. You want it? And he's like, you got to throw it away. So he's like, ah, and he throws it away. And then he's like still saying, this is like, oh, God, this is such a way. And he walks through the thing. And I'm laughing the whole time. I'm not laughing because that would be rude. But I'm smiling and kind of chuckling to myself. And, and he sees me and I see him. And, and it's funny 
Because all this only costs about $7 for us to buy the whole thing. We drank some of it. So we didn't feel like we lost so much. But it was okay. But we couldn't take that stuff with us. It's not going to be funny, though. When at the end of our lives, all this stuff that we've invested in, and it gets to the day of reckoning, and we realize we can't take any of this stuff with us. And God says to this man, you fool. Who's this, who's this going to go to now? Okay, okay, you've got kids, so your kids are going to get it. I was reading this one book by this one author who says, okay, this kids are, your kids are going to get it. But what are kids? They're just pre-dead people also, aren't they? They're just pre-dead people, and they're going to get all this stuff. They fight for my stuff, my stuff, my stuff, and they get this stuff like little vultures. And this is mine. And then these pre-dead people one day die. And they leave it to somebody else. Another pre-dead person comes and he claims it. And stuff gets passed on one to another. He's like, and none of that stuff goes with us. He says, we have, to, we have to be wise in understanding what stays and what goes. Here's an exercise in reality. That one, uh, one speaker says, go through all the stuff that you've got at home. Just go through your, your room, your closet. If you've got a home of your own, then you can go through your furniture and all this stuff. And, and just take out post-it notes and write one of two things on it. Right? On, on one, say, stays here. And just stick it on. On all the other things, say, goes with. And stick it on. Everything that we see that does not move, we're going to write on it stays here and the only thing that we will say goes with is people people and God and his word are the only things that are eternal what are you what am I what are we investing in are we being rich in the eyes of this world Or are we being rich towards God? It's not a bad thing to be rich in the world, but the problem with this guy was that he was not rich towards God. Typically, typically the richest ones are the ones who give the least percentage of their income to charitable causes, to church, and to eternal things. I think in, in, in our church, I feel blessed. I feel blessed in our church. Some of the ones who have the most are the ones who give the most and invest the most into the kingdom of God. Being rich towards God. Because certain things you see, most things that you and I see will not go with us. And the things that are eternal are things that you and I are being called to invest ourselves into. To invest in the people and not so much into things. Isn't it true, we say this a lot here, that so many times we use people and we use people to get things, to win things, whereas we should be using things to win people, using things to love people rather than using people to love things. One is eternal, one is temporal. See, certain things stay and certain things go. That's why I think the beauty of what that Ecuadorian missionary Jim Elliott said is so profound that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Every time we invest in the people, every time we invest in those things that are eternal, we will never lose that. See, this guy, when he left this earth, he left all of his treasure behind. 
God is calling us to live in such a way. I really, one of the things that amazed me when we, when we were at uh, Tico's memorial service is one, how many people came? 700 people come. I, I didn't even know he knew that many people. But 700 people were there. That was the first thing that surprised me. The second thing that surprised me, we took a, we took a calculated risk in saying we're going to have an open mic time because we had no idea how many people would go up. We didn't know if anybody wanted to go up, if anybody was going to. We had to plant a few moles in there to say, hey, if, if no one goes up after a while, just go up. But most of, them didn't even ha- most of them didn't even have to go up because the lines were so long of people wanting to, to talk about him. But here's the thing. The things that people said, nobody talked about the things that he had. The only things they talked about him having was like missions teams t-shirts. That's the only thing. But no one talked about, oh, he had all this money or he had this great car. No one said any of that kind of stuff. What was surprising was what was said because there were things that the great majority of people were completely shocked to have heard. Things that he would have never told anybody. Things that nobody would have picked up on. The things that people talked about were the things that he gave. He gave joy. He gave hope. He gave courage. He gave inspiration. He gave advice. These are the things that he gave. See, some people, when their lives come to an end, they leave all their treasure behind. Other people, when their lives come to an end, they go to pick up their reward. They go to pick up their treasure. And we need to know, guys, what stays and what goes and to invest in the things that go that are eternal. It's the second thing. The last thing then that we see is we have to remember where we're going. Remember where we're going. So important because where we're going makes all the difference in the world. To keep our eyes set on our eternal home, which is why we talked about that last week. To remember where we're going and who we're going to see that we have a friend named Jesus waiting there for me. He's given something that no one else could give. He gave his life in payment so that we could live. To remember where we're going, to remember where we're headed, to remember that there is an eternity, to remember that there is a destiny that awaits the people of God. Uh, Several uh, months ago, there was this craze. There's these two competing crazes throughout America. I don't know if it was an international thing, but there were these two things that were kind of running parallel to each other that was competing against each other for the affection and the allegiance of people throughout the states. One was called P90X, and the other was called Beach Body Insanity, okay? two workout programs. One of them was for 90 days. You get, I don't know what you do for 90 days, but you get extreme. You get jacked up, right? P90X. There's that, and then there's Beach Body Insanity. I don't need any of these, obviously, but somebody gave me a DVD of Beach Body Insanity. I think they're trying to give me a hint, but I put it on my computer uh, on the DVD player, and I was watching it, and within five minutes, I was like, I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't care what you say. I don't care what kind of a body you can get. I don't care if you get Superman body. I don't care if you get whoever body you get. I don't want that. I don't want that. As we're doing our uh, training for missions this summer, uh, Pastor Albert decides that he wants to give us all beach bodies. So for physical training, he pops in the Beach Body Insanity DVD. And I was like, no, bring back all these bad memories. We're doing this Beach Body Insanity in the Kingdom Keeper's room. And I, Within 15 minutes, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be a good leader, okay? So let me tip my hand. I'm trying to be a good leader, trying to get out there and, and do it and, and not, not complain and stuff like that. But within 10 minutes, I'm dead. I'm dying. Like, I'm literally wheezing and like the little penguin from Toy Story 2. I'm like, uh, uh, 
I'm like seeing like stars everywhere and this guy's yelling at me and I'm like, I don't care. I don't care what you say. I'm not doing it. I can't do it anymore. And I was thinking, uh, uh, sitting like just completely about to pass out. And I, this was, this is what I said. I said, this is utterly and completely insane. I understand why it's called insanity. I quit. I don't want this. I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. And here's, here's the thing. Most people who quit like me, the reason why we quit is because when we look at beach body insanity, the only thing we see is the insanity of it all. I don't look at the, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a beach body. If I, if I, okay, I'm looking at the beach body. I'm looking at who, who I could be, which is who I already am. So why, why should I do this anyway? But I look at this beach body insanity. People who keep on going go because they want that beach body insanity, because they see the beach. They see that that's where they're going. And because they have that hope, it drives them to do what is insane. But when I don't have a vision of where I'm going, then everything that I go through in this life is, why should I do it? And if we have no hope that we're going somewhere, then why should it be that we should go through any suffering for the sake of the kingdom of God? When we live for eternity, when we know that heaven awaits, it changes the way that we live here on earth. If there is no heaven, then why would we suffer on earth? If there is no heaven, why not live it up? Why not do all these things, eat, drink, and be merry? Why not if there is no heaven? If there is no hope beyond the years of our lives, then do everything that you can to make the most of life here. Get wasted every weekend. Yeah, you'll pay a price for a hangover, but get wasted. That's fine. Go and, 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 and sleep around. Give in to your passions. Give in to your, do all that stuff. Yeah, you're going to die. Might as well die of STDs. If there is no heaven, then die that way. Fine. But if there is something beyond life, if there is something more out there, then that ought to change the way that we live. If there is an eternity, there is a heaven, there's something so much better waiting for us. Then why would we live as if earth is all that there is to life? When this guy's life came to an end, he was living today. He opened up the Wall Street Journal. I mean, this guy was a baller. Probably say something like Fortune 500 executive. Might say something like visionary, innovator. Uh, 500 richest people in the world. Uh, industry changer. All these things written about him. But underneath all that stuff, God writes his own obituary. And he writes, you fool. I think about, I didn't read any obituaries for our boy. Probably wasn't that much to write. College student. Missionary, perhaps. But underneath all that, God writes, good and faithful servant. See, we've got to remember where we're going. Because so many times the world's fools becomes God's greatest servants. And so many times servants of the world become, God, become fools in the eyes of God. See, when Jesus Christ said to the Father, I'm going down, we might look at that and say, what a foolish thing to do. Born of a virgin, 
in a, in, in a barn. What a foolish thing. To, to, to have been able to be the king of, of, of a nation and to overthrow all of these things and yet to come and, and humble yourself as a servant. How foolish. The teacher taking off his outer garment, wrapping a towel around his waist, getting on his knees and washing his disciples' feet. How foolish. God Almighty stripped naked, hanging on a cross for your sins and my sins. How utterly and completely foolish. And yet Jesus became a fool to the world so that we could one day hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would we be willing to be fools in the eyes of the world so that we can have what really matters? There's a lesson to be learned and there's things that God shouts at us in our pain that we would have ears to hear what he would say to us. This morning, brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's respond to the word of the Lord. What is God speaking into your heart today? Maybe you have been living in such a way that you would be applauded by the world. But maybe when God writes over the story of your life, he says, don't be so foolish. Have we been living for the applause of man rather than the applause of heaven? Maybe others of us, our hopes and dreams are shaped by things that we cannot take with us. And that's all that matters to us. And God is saying, remember, know what stays and what goes. Maybe for others of us, God is putting in our hearts a certain group of people that we need to begin investing into. You've talked about it. You've thought about it. But now he's saying, hey, go do it. Just begin to take these people out. Maybe if you're an adult, it's taking out a younger younger student. Maybe if you're a, a follower of Christ, it's, it's investing into somebody who's, who's new to the church. To invest in things that are eternal. To not leave our treasure behind, but to go and to pick it up in abundance when we get to the other side. Let's take a couple moments to pray to the Lord God and respond to his word in whatever ways that he may be leading, convicting you. Let's take a moment to just pray that to the Lord and, and ask God, Father, change my heart. Forgive me, I confess, I repent, I turn away from earthly things, I turn away from foolish things that I might embrace the goodness and the faithfulness that comes from being a servant of God, faithful and surrendered to you. Let's take a couple minutes to pray right now, just responding to the word of the Lord.
heaven, we confess that our sights can so often be set on lesser things. And you're calling us to lift our eyes just a little bit higher. To dream of what will one day be. When we see you face to face, the one who gave his life as payment for our sins and for our mistakes and for our failures, when we see you, Jesus, face to face, and to imagine and to envision what that could look like and what that could be like, I pray, Father, that we would live in light of that glorious sight, not in light of things that are so temporary and so earthly. Father, challenge us. I don't know what more you could do to shake us out of our comfort zone. I don't know what more you could do in order for us to to understand this. God, I pray that our church would get it. That we would see it, that we would live differently by grace. And we know that we only get this one chance to do it. And our failures, mistakes have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But we don't want to continue to live in regret, living backwards. But to be living, driven by a glorious future hope that shapes us and shakes us and molds us and makes us into who you really want us to be. May we respond and live boldly, urgently, sacrificially, courageously, even dangerously so that you might be known amongst those who don't know you. We thank you. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.